Genesis uh, chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 10. Now you will recall that Jacob, after stealing his brother's birthright, finds himself on the run fleeing for his life. Throughout scriptures, beloved, we see people with broken, damaged lives and in their moment of desperation being met by the Lord. And what was true in Jacob's life is true in your life and is true in my life. Most of us came to the saving knowledge of Christ and received him by faith in repentance and faith. Because we came to some crisis point, some crossroads where God met us with his grace and invited us as a sinner in need of a savior to come to Jesus. And beloved, that happened in my life. I was 24 years old. And I'm telling you, I was raised in a home that was not churched. And so when I began to hear the truth of God's word preached with power and passion by Dr. Rogers, the former pastor of this church over 42 years ago, I am telling you when he would preach the word, my heart would burn within me. And God began wooing me unto himself through the word of God and by the spirit of God opened my eyes of understanding that I might see I was a sinner in need of a savior. Oh my goodness, as we're studying Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob, oh my goodness, how we're seeing men with fragile failures over and over and over again. And yet through it all, we see the faithfulness of God. Can you believe how faithful and good he is? I pray that as you have been through this study, that you will see that you are blessed in the same way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That God has a plan and a purpose for your life. And even when you and I fail him, the scripture says, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot deny himself. Are you kidding me? What a message for us today. Well, uh, if you would uh, look with me in uh, Genesis chapter 28 and verse 10, and I'm calling this between a rock and a hard place. Now, y'all, that's funny. I don't care who you are. Uh, <laughs> you know that I like alliteration. But once I got this uh, on my mind, I couldn't get past it. So my lesson is not alliterated, which annoys me just a tiny bit. But we're looking at Jacob now between a rock and a hard place. Genesis chapter 28, beginning in verse 10. Then Jacob departed from Beersheba. And he went towards Haran. He came to a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of the place and he put it under his head and he lay down in that place. And he had a dream. And behold, the Lord stood, uh, oh, excuse me, and he had a dream, verse 12. He had a dream. And behold, a ladder was set on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac and the land on which you lie, I will give it to you and to your descendants. Verse 14, your descendants will also be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and all your descendants shall all of the families of the earth be blessed. That's a messianic promise concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 15, behold, 
I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to the land for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Now, remember, this is just after he has swindled his brother out of his birthright. And God comes and speaks his promises over him and speaks into his life who he ultimately will become in the Lord. Now, look at verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. And he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is no, this is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it on a pillar, and he poured oil on its top. And he called the name of the place Bethel, which means the house of God, even though previously it had been called Luz, verse 20, and then Jacob made a vow, saying, if the Lord will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. This stone, which I have set up as a pillar, will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give you a tenth. Now, we know that Jacob has come from a dysfunctional family. And again, it is both encouraging and distressing for us to read about these great heroes of the faith and how often they have experienced failure in our life, in their lives. That is, it encourages us because we can relate to that. But beloved, it does not give us the right to operate with failure, we're to be striving to walk worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ. We've got to break the habit, beloved, of living in such a way that we have to cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. Rather, we're to live in such a way that we're operating in the grace of God. Are you with me? Are you tracking that? Is that making sense to you? Let that just settle on your soul. We need to stop living in such a way that we have to keep casting ourselves on the mercy of God, although praise God for it. But we need to begin to operate as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. We begin to operate in his grace. He gives us grace so that we might overcome the downward pull of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we need to operate in such a way, beloved, that others see the reality of Christ in us. Now, this is progressive. This is what we call sanctification. And this is a progressive process that is painful and takes time. But, beloved, there should be this upward trajectory, even though we know there's going to be moments of failures and, and times of sin and stumble and so forth. But we should be seeing in our lives a forward progression so that we are walking according to the Lord. Well, Jacob is given this incredible dream. I put this in your notes, but this is from Warren Wearsby. The ladder that Jacob saw symbolizes Jesus Christ. Jacob is a perfect picture of the lost soul. In the darkness, fleeing for his life, away from the father's house, burdened with sin and ignorant of the fact God is near and wants to save him. The latter pictures Christ as the only way from earth to heaven. He opens heaven for us and brings heaven's blessings to our lives. And he alone can take us to heaven. Jacob thought he was in the lonely wilderness and wakened to discover that he had been at the very gate of heaven. 
What a story. What a story. Now, we would, using New Testament language, we would call this moment his moment of conversion. That is, God calls him out of darkness into the kingdom of light. But as we study out Jacob's life, I just want to remind you that Jacob came, even though he came from God followers, he came from a dysfunctional family. His father loved his brother better. And Jacob knew that even if Isaac thought he was keeping it from him. Jacob knew that. He picked up on that. And his father Isaac preferred his brother, his twin brother Esau, because he was a hunter. He was a man's man. And evidently he could whip up a pot of stew that was just incredible. And and so we see that Isaac is a man given to fleshly appetites. He is showing partiality and favoritism and causing all kinds of sibling rivalry between the two twin boys. I want to remind you that when they were deceiving, when uh, his mother, Rebecca, helped him uh, deceive his dying father, that he said, how will it be that when my father asks me to draw close and touches me, he will know that it is me rather than my brother Esau. And she takes a goat skin and puts it on his arm, and that convinces the father, oh yeah, that's Esau. Y'all, this, this was a hairy man. Oh, my goodness. When I first got saved, Dr. Rogers and his family had an Irish setter, an Irish setter, and they named it Esau because it was a hairy red hunter. I have never forgotten the meaning of Esau, but anyways... So he comes from a family of dysfunction. His mother favors him. His father favors his twin brother. There are strongholds. There are generational curses that he is operating in because of these deeply ingrained habit patterns. But now he has met God and he is a new creation in Christ. And so, beloved, what we should see is a heart that is tender towards the things of God, a heart that is turned now away from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, a heart that is turned in obedience and devotion. But we're going to see over and over again, at least in this portion of Jacob's life, that while his faith is tested, he fails every time. He consistently goes back to old habit patterns. And beloved, I've just got to tell you, the Spirit of God living within us and the Word of God gives us the power to overcome those habitual habit patterns that have been deeply ingrained in our lives. But listen to me, it takes work. It takes work. I fear because salvation is free, and it is, and Christ did that on our behalf, and he did, that we tend to move into the Christian life thinking he does it all for us. And in reality, the process of sanctification isn't so much about him and his lordship in our life, but we have to engage in obedience with a surrendered heart of devotion. Does that sit well with you this morning? And beloved, if we don't, you know what happens? Jacob shows up. Jacob shows up. Jacob shows up. And even though we are in Christ, the flesh... 
the indwelling principle of sin, it's what Romans calls it, it remains active in us to the extent we allow it to operate. But we have the power, beloved, to allow the Lord to crucify the flesh and allow us to walk in freedom. So that is what it means to be between a rock and a hard place. <clears throat> and so the next thing I want you to see is what I call reaping what you sow. In chapter 29, he continues his journey and he comes to a well and he engages the men there in conversation and asks if they possibly uh, know uh, his brother, or excuse me, his uncle, Laban. And they said, yes. In fact, the girl who was coming up now with her sheep to water the sheep, that is his daughter. And look with me in chapter 29 and verse 10. When Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, the, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban in his, from his mother's house, he went up and rolled the stone away, and he got water for the sheep. And he kisses Rachel and evidently falls madly in love with her. This is love at first sight. And he determines then he wants to take her for his bride. So Jacob, verse 12, told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father, verse 13. So when Laban heard the news of Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him. And he embraced him and kissed him and brought him up to the house. And then he related to Laban all these things. And Laban said, well, surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Obviously, he has been serving him. So tell me, what shall your wages be? Verse 16. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now, listen how they are described. Now, Leah's eyes were weak, and Rachel was beautiful of form and face. Now, Jacob loved Rachel. So he said, I will serve you seven years for your youngest daughter, Rachel. This is a dowry of sorts. And Laban said, it is better that I give her to you than to give her to another man. That's encouraging. So stay with me. And so Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because he loved her so much. So here's the story. Laban has two daughters. His oldest daughter's name is Leah and the youngest is Rachel. Rachel is the one that <clears throat> Jacob is swooning over. Now, in the commentaries, it says that Rachel's name means you, that is a female sheep. And Leah means, get this, wild cow. <laughs> Would you like to go through your life with that moniker? And it says her eyes were weak. <clears throat> when Craig and I were newly saved, we found out we were expecting uh, Jason. And as I've told you before, we came to the uh, saving knowledge of Christ through Dr. Rogers' ministry here at Bellevue when Bellevue was located downtown. One of the first couples that we met was David and Gwen Hodges. I see Gwen over here in the audience. The second was Mike and Renee Smith. 
Now, that was over 40 years ago, and believe it or not, ladies, we connected. I connected with those women through women's ministry all those years ago, and they are still the dearest friends. I love them both dearly, and Craig and I have been blessed by them. We've just lived up in each other's lives. Well, fast forward, Gwen's had Matthew, I've had Jason. Gwen and I both get pregnant at the same time, and our due dates are two days apart. Gwen was supposed to go first, but I got to. And so I called her from the hospital and said, you're not going to believe this. They're admitting me, and I'm uh, going to have uh, our second son, which is Dawson. And uh, Gwen said, well, we'll come by and see you when we have a minute. And so after I had delivered back in the room, they came to visit with us. And and, uh, Gwen said, oh, she just hoped any minute that she would be going to the hospital with Aaron. And I said, well, you call me and let me know. So about the time we are checking out, we get a call from David, and they're checking into the hospital. I'm so excited for them. So after Aaron has been born, I call Gwen and said, tell me all about it. And she tells me all about Aaron. She's this beautiful child, and the delivery has gone well. Baby's healthy. Mom's healthy. And then Gwen says this, I'll never forget it. She's got the crawly eyes. And I remember thinking to myself, that's a horrible thing to say about your newborn. I couldn't imagine what kind of condition this was, crawly eyes. I I just couldn't imagine. When I got off the phone, Craig said, so how's Gwen? I said, I think she's doing okay, but I'm not so sure about Aaron. I said, Gwen told me she's got the crawly eyes. Craig said, what does that mean? I said, I don't know. I don't know. But I've got to get over there and see her because she's got crawly eyes. Well, it was a few days before I was well enough to go see her, but when I did, there's Gwen and Aaron and Dave and Matthew, and they introduced me to Gwen's parents, Mr. and Mrs. Crawley. I mean, what are the chances? What are the chances? Every time I read this passage about Leah and Rachel, I think about that story and how distressed I was that my friend had birthed the baby with crawly eyes. (laughs) And so Rachel now has been betrothed to Jacob. He has worked seven years for, but look now in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for my time is completed that I might go into her. And Laban gathered all the men of the the place and they made a feast. Now in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to him and Jacob went in to her. Laban also gave his uh, his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. So it came about in the morning, whoa, baby. (laughs) Behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what have you done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? But Laban said, it is not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Perhaps a piece of information that might have been valuable in this situation. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you um, the other also for the service, which you shall serve for me for another seven years. So Jacob did so and completed his week, and he gave him 
his daughter Rachel as his wife. What a mess. What a mess. Jacob has been deceived. Now, you know that Jacob literally means subplanner. He was a deceiver. He was a con man. That's why he's on the run. That's what got him in this place in the first place, because he operates in deceit, and he's a cheater. And so what he doesn't realize is that God is going to orchestrate that Jacob, the cheater, is going to do business with a man who's a greater cheater than he is. Now, I just want to tell you something. This is just a little aside. I'm not going to be able to develop this, but here's just a truth. I'm telling you, this is just a truth. Very often when a difficult person shows up in our life, very often God is using them as a mirror to hold up their shortcomings, which we find so distasteful, to reveal that those shortcomings are lodged in our heart. So just everybody say, ouch. There you go. That hurt. Okay. So we've got Jacob, and he's so disappointed. And we have got Leah. Now just think about it. Leah knows that his love was for her sister Rachel. And she knows that her father believes by his actions that the only way she's ever going to get a man is if he tricks him. So can you imagine the despair in her heart, the crushed self-worth and image? And she is described uh, as a, a woman with weak eyes as a, a, a cow. That's what her name means. And so can you even imagine the damaged personality that's in Leah? So not only that, he says you're to complete the weak the honeymoon period. Can you imagine how awkward that was? I read in a commentary that the bride was often given in silent and darkness to honor the sacred moment. Evidently, it was really dark in that tent that night. can't even unravel this. I can't even unravel this. So now we've got Leah who knows she's unloved, married to a man who loves Rachel, and now he has two wives. And I just want to remind you that multiple wives has never, ever, ever been God's plan. And seriously, y'all, how does that even work? God said, Way back in Genesis 2, 24, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and he shall cleave to his wife and the two shall be one. That's God's plan for the family. And yet we see in the scripture many times where a man will take multiple wives and every time it ends in a disaster. This is a disaster. We have a woman who is unloved, but she is able to bear Jacob's children. And we have a woman who is loved, but she is barren. Can you imagine the tension in that household? Can you imagine what that was like for Leah and for Rachel? And Rachel's longing for children and Leah's beginning to have children. Ultimately, in a situation that only God can redeem, ultimately, they had 12 sons 
who would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But we have to marvel at what the Lord is able to do with broken, messy people. And y'all, if he can fix this situation, there's not any situation you and I are facing that he cannot be Lord of all. He is in the redemption business. And so we're going to see how this begins to play out. So I called this reaping what you sow. Because Jacob has gotten really good at using deception. And he has met his match now in Laban, who is unbelievably deceptive and ruthless in it. Dr. Rogers preached a message years ago called the law of the harvest. And I remember it so well that I thought about that as I was thinking about what happened in Jacob's life. Would you turn with me to Galatians chapter 6? Just real briefly, Galatians chapter 6. In verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will reap. The law of the harvest, as Dr. Rogers taught it, has three components. The first is you will reap what you sow. That is, if you sow beans, you're going to reap beans. You reap more than you sow. And the third is you reap later than you sow. And this is true in Jacob's life. He has sowed deception, and now he is reaping it in his own life. And the fallout for his family is phenomenal. We see over and over how he schemes to get what he wants. And so he is receiving back through Laban what he has sown. Well, the story goes on. And again, we don't really have time to uh, fully develop this. But what happens is that Jacob... Uh, tells Laban it is time for him to leave. And uh, Laban does not want to lose uh, Jacob because God is blessing Laban with prosperity through Jacob's prosperity. And so he does not want to lose him. So Jacob, again, rather than trusting the Lord, he schemes and comes up with this plan. And he ultimately says that he will take the rejects of the flock. And then he begins to scheme to make sure that works out to his favor. And it does. God prospers him. Uh, sovereignly and divinely, providentially, full of grace and mercy, God uh, honors uh, the life of Jacob because he has great plans for this man. Even though, again, we just see this man, Jacob, every time his faith is is tested, we see him respond with failure. Well, the third thing I want you to see is there's no place like home. If you look at chapter 31, beginning in 1, Now Jacob heard the words of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's and for what belonged to our father, he has made all this wealth. And Jacob saw the multitude, excuse me, saw the attitude of Laban and behold, it was not friendly towards him as formerly. And then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives and I will be with you. That is God tells him, come home. 
come home. And I want to tell you today, if you are here and you are struggling with an issue in your life, God's word to you is come home, come home. You will find him full of grace and mercy, loving kindness, and he will welcome you back home. There's no place like home. And so we see in Jacob's life a man that God has great plans for, but a man who keeps going back to these old sinful habit patterns. And again, this encourages us, but beloved, it does not give us permission to operate any way we want to. Because you and I have been called out of darkness and placed into the kingdom of God's own dear son, the kingdom of light. He has taken us out of the marketplace of sin. He has redeemed us and ransomed us. And he has a perfect purpose and a plan for every one of us. Now, you know that my oldest son's name is Jason. Jason and his family, uh, he's married to Patty. They live in Austin, Texas. When they got married, for a few years, they lived here in Memphis. And it was the strangest thing, but there was another Jason Stockdale. And that Jason Stockdale and his fiancée were going to get married a month after my Jason. Not only that, they were going to go to the same resort for their honeymoon. And there began to be all of these cross connects. Now, that other Jason played the guitar in a praise and worship band in a church plant. My son played the guitar in a worship band in a church plant. And so there were all of these cross connects with this other Jason, although we had never met him. Fast forward, Jason and Patty move away, and I'm still running into people who ask me, are you Jason's mother, to which I say yes. And then suddenly I realize they're not talking about my son, they're talking about the other Jason Stockdale. Well, I was at a wedding, and someone came up to me and said, Jason Stockdale is here, and he wants to meet you. And I said, I've always wanted to meet him. And so we embraced each other, felt like we knew each other well. And he said, Gene, every time I write a check or use my credit card, someone says, are you Gene Stockdale's son? He said, to the point I'm just about ready to say, yes, yes, I am. <laughs> And we laughed about the cross connect and we talked about the things of the Lord and he was telling me what God was doing in his life. He had this great testimony walking with the Lord and I said, Jason, I want to tell you something. I am rejoicing in the fact that since you have my son's name, that you are walking with the Lord. I'm so blessed by that. And I just want to tell you this, that if you ever decide to veer off the path of faith, I will come after you. <laughs> I said, Jason, you share the name of my son. Beloved, you and I share the name of Jesus. And from the moment of our conversion, we gave the world the right to look at our life and see what Jesus is like. And again, this is a progression, this is a process, hard one, tough one, challenging as we're made into the image of Christ, but we need to be about that business, allowing God to conform us to the image of his own dear son. Beloved, we are living in days full of anxiety and stress and frustration. People's tempers are short. Never seen so many really tense people like we're seeing now. And this is an opportunity 
for you and I to demonstrate what Jesus looks like in human form. Oh, that we would be found faithful. Beloved, this is the last time I will teach this semester. Next week, Donna will be wrapping this up. And I just want to thank you again. It has been the absolute honor of my life to come to share God's word with you. I believe God has much more in store for us. But I will never forget what this semester has felt like and how God has used it to encourage and to strengthen me, to build me up in the faith, and to urge me on. Let's pray together. Oh, Father. Oh, Father. We share the name of Jesus. Would you help us, Lord Jesus, to operate in the reality of Christ so others might see Jesus in us, that they might see this is not ritual or religion. This is a relationship and in this relationship, we are committed to walk in obedience and truth, to walk worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ, to allow others to see Christ in us, the hope of glory, to be your handmaidens, to be your bondservants, to be your daughters, royal birth, and yet servant-spirited, that we might serve and bless and encourage others because of what Jesus has done for us. Father, I just want to thank you again. I believe my healing has been supernatural, and I believe it's been through your hand. You are Jehovah Rapha. And Lord, I just thank you, Jehovah Jireh, how you have provided every step along the way. And while there were days I didn't think I'd ever get back to this privilege, oh, Lord God, I'm eternally grateful to be in the house of the Lord with my sisters in Christ. May we urge each other on in the faith. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.